0: This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you are going to Children's Church, now's the time to do that. You can i join Deacon Philip over there at the door on your way out. Is this on? Yes. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> if you're staying in with us this morning, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Last time, uh, last month, when we considered Ephesians chapter 5, we considered Paul's admonition to look carefully how we walk, not as fools, but as wise. We considered how the Apostle Paul exhorted us to walk in wisdom by redeeming the time and making the best use of our minds. And we also considered how the only way that we can walk in wisdom is if we are filled with the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 gave us three indications of being filled with the Spirit, singing souls and thankful tongues and humbled hearts. This morning, we're going to consider how to walk in wisdom, and how to keep in step with the Spirit in the most fundamental of human relationships, and that is marriage. Hear God's word from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22 through verse 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. We're going to consider these 12 verses this morning in three sections. So if you're taking notes, this will be the outline of the sermon this morning. Section one is mysterious marriage. Mysterious marriage. And this is really taking the end of the verses we read and just contemplating for a moment the totality of what Paul is saying to us here in these 12 verses. Mysterious marriage. The Apostle Paul's main point, and this is the main point of the sermon. The Apostle Paul's main point in these verses is that a godly husband and a godly wife, walking in wisdom and keeping in step with the Spirit of God in a godly union of matrimony, all of that testifies to the union of Christ and His church. A godly husband and a godly wife walking in godly union testifies to the union of Christ and his church. Second, we'll look at joyful submission. Joyful submission. The Apostle Paul teaches us that a godly wife is a picture of the church to Jesus Christ. A godly wife is a picture of how the church ought to relate to Jesus Christ. And thirdly, we'll look at loving leadership loving leadership. The Apostle Paul teaches us that a godly husband is a picture of how Jesus Christ loves his church. We have a lot before us this morning, so let's take a moment now and pray and let's ask God to be with us as we consider his word. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would make your word live to us, that Your Word by Your Spirit would show us Jesus Christ and that You, O God, would conform us to the image of Your beloved Son. We pray that You would strengthen the marriages of this congregation and so testify to the world the deep, deep love of Jesus Christ for His church. We pray that You would do this for the good of Your church and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, first, a mysterious marriage. On October 31st, 1517, the Augustinian monk Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to a church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And so 505 years ago tomorrow, Martin Luther lit a match that would set ablaze what would become the Protestant Reformation. And scholars and historians and theologians have debated over the years the root cause of the Protestant Reformation. And there are many. But I'm reminded, in light of that, of a conversation that I had with a colleague of mine a year or so ago. My friend, my colleague, is a devout Roman Catholic. And in the course of the conversation about it being Reformation Day, he nonchalantly mentioned that the real cause of the Protestant Reformation is that Martin Luther, who was in fact a Roman Catholic monk, who had in fact taken a vow of celibacy, that Martin Luther burned with passion and wanted to marry the Roman Catholic nun, Katharina von Bora. Now I had heard this argument before, I knew that it was out there, I hadn't heard it from a friend, I had read it, I had heard that it was out there, but I had never heard an actual person make this argument. And so it was, it was, uh, it was, it was interesting to me, it, was, uh, it, it caught me a little bit off guard, and so I asked him again, are you sure that the whole point of the Protestant Reformation is that Martin Luther really just wanted to have Katie as his wife? And he said, yes, of course it is. And so I kind of laughed off my friend. And then I reminded him that 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 3 says that those who forbid marriage like in vows of celibacy are deceitful spirits and that they follow after the teachings of demons. This is just another reminder in Sam's edition of winning friends and influencing people. (laughs) That sometimes saying the truth will get you in those kinds of situations. My friend is still a friend of mine. He's still a colleague of mine. He's still a Roman Catholic, and I think he's still very much wrong. But one of the great fruits, one of the great fruits, one of the grains of truth in my friend's argument about Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, one of the great fruits of the Reformation was the reclaiming of the glory of marriage in the church. Martin Luther said that there is no more lovely, friendly, and charming relationship, communion, or company than a good marriage. Of course, the opposite of that is true as well, we know. But Luther was not simply making a novel argument in his day so that he could marry Katerina von Bora. No, Martin Luther was teaching and applying God's good design for marriage revealed to us in the Bible. And so, in our verses before us this morning, the Apostle Paul is continuing his train of thought from Ephesians chapter five that we've considered previously, in particular, in particular, verse twenty-one, where he argues that being filled with the Spirit and walking in wisdom results in submitting to one another out of reverence, or out of fear, out of out of awe for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, then in verses. 22 through 33, he directs our attention to the most fundamental of human relationships. And he applies these spiritual truths of, of walking in the Spirit to a very real scenario that all of us will encounter in one way or another in our lives. He puts meat on the bone for us. And he shows us in very real terms what God intends and God intended from the beginning. That the union of one man, one man, one biological man, and one biological woman in covenant marriage would testify to the relationship that God himself has with his people. And so the Apostle Paul calls this mystery of marriage profound in verse 32. And then he explicitly tells us that the marriage union, not to be forbidden by those who follow after spiritual demons, but the marriage union itself that we see first in Genesis chapter 2 refers to the very union of the Son of God and His church. And so our first parents, Adam and Eve, were created by God. To walk in love and to walk in light and to walk in wisdom with God and with each other. God created Adam from the dust of the ground first, and he created Eve from his rib, a helper fit for him. And incidentally, Martin Luther's nickname for his beloved Katie was Katie, my rib. Now, the first time I heard something like that was from a New Orleans pastor, a black Baptist pastor in New Orleans named Fred Luter, who referred to his wife as his prime rib. (laughs) Brothers, you know your wives, and you know whether that's wise or not to use such a... uh, But Lindsay is certainly my prime rib. I think you can all amen that. (laughs) At the very sight of Eve, our father Adam erupted into a song. A thankful tongue and a singing soul in Genesis 2.23 when he said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so in Genesis 2.24 and in Ephesians 5.31 we read that a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh the first husband and the first wife, to live in perfect love and in perfect light and in perfect wisdom with God and with each other. But tragically, we know, through the abdication of loving authority and through the exercise of sinful defiance, sin entered the world when tempted by Satan, our first parents took and ate the forbidden fruit. Perfect love, now enmity and strife with God and man. Perfect light, now the dark clouds of sin and death over the soul. Perfect wisdom, walking the foolish ways of the world. And we see in Genesis 3 that with sin came disorder and disunity within the marriage relationship. Immediately in Genesis chapter 3, the perfect order and harmony was ruined. We see the disorder and the disunity between husband and wife in verse 7 of chapter 3. When they, when they were naked and not ashamed, but now they see their nakedness. And so they sow fig leaves to cover their shame. Perfect harmony broken as they hide from God and from each other. Fingers pointing as to who is to blame. God's rebellious children, of course, had rebellious children of their own. And so we read of the first murder when Cain killed his brother Abel in Genesis 4. And we see from there all the dysfunctions of the marriage relationship between the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. And from that day until this day, Sin has worked disorder and disunity and dysfunction and despair in all nations and throughout every generation of marriage. And we feel this disorder and this dysfunction and this despair most acutely in our marriage. Marriage is meant to be the union of one man and of one woman for one lifetime. And too often we see that union disfigured in sexual immorality. And too often we see that union broken apart in divorce. Too often a husband misuses and abuses his rightful authority. And too often a wife refuses or begrudges her delightful duty of submission. And this sin is nothing other than the rotten fruit of our rebellion against God Himself. Marital strife and disunity and divorce is nothing more than the fruit of our rebellious disunion with God. Yet in the midst of the sinful chaos of Genesis 3, God did promise, didn't He? To restore perfect love, to restore perfect union between God and man through a marriage. To restore perfect light and wisdom in marriage. And the fulfillment of God's promises. Find their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we see why it is that the Apostle Paul has written this very letter to the Ephesians. And in particular, why he wrote verses 22-33. through 33. He wrote these verses to teach us the mystery of marriage. That God had from the beginning a grand plan to give his son a bride. That even in Genesis chapter 2, the marriage of one man and one woman before the fall was to testify to the glorious union of God and his people of Christ and His church. And so brothers and sisters, let me remind you that we ought to be a church fervently committed to healthy marriages. Because each one of our marriages testifies to the union of Jesus Christ and His church. And it testifies to that great consummation of the marriage union that is to come in the marriage supper of the Lamb that Travis read for us in Revelation chapter 19. Do you think of your marriages in this way, brothers and sisters? That you are evangelizing the world simply by being a godly husband and a godly wife. And you are testifying to the principalities and powers in the spiritual places that their time is short and that Jesus Christ will in fact come again for his bride. This is the mystery of marriage. And so friend, if you are here this morning and you are not A Christian, or you're here this morning and you have questions about all of these matters, we are glad that you've joined us today. I can only imagine how strange it is the things that I have said so far must sound to your ears. All of these folks gathered together to hear a sermon and to sing songs, to read from a 2,000 year old letter about submission and authority, about husbands and wives, about marriage itself. This is, in fact, the year 2022. What is it that this old book has to teach us? Well, friend, this sermon is not fundamentally about submission and authority. This sermon is not fundamentally about husbands and wives or about marriage itself. This sermon is fundamentally about love. It's about love. We are gathered here this morning to worship God who is perfect love. And he offers perfect love and harmony to all who come to him by faith. And so friend, you need to know that the reason that your life is full of difficulty and discord, why families are full of disorder, why the world is full of disease and death and dismay, is because we have all rebelled against this God who is love you and me and everyone in this room has rebelled against God and so plunged our lives and our marriages and this world into sinful disorder. And friend, that's the bad news. But the glorious good news of Christianity, the gospel message that we have for you this day, is that God is not only Full of love. But He is rich in mercy. And because of His mercy and His love, He set out on a redemption mission through Jesus Christ. To win back a bride. To win back a bride from the captivity of sin and death and hell. The captivity of disorder. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, walked the perfect path of love and light and wisdom with God and with man. He never once sinned. And yet Jesus Christ willingly died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Showing His perfect love for anyone who would turn away from their sin and trust themselves to Jesus Christ alone. And even more than that, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, proving to us all that His perfect love sacrifice was powerful enough to bring perfect order out of sinful disorder to bring life out of death. And when we joyfully submit ourselves to the loving authority of Jesus Christ, he sets us free from sin so that we can walk in love and walk in light and walk in wisdom with God and with man, with our husband and with our wife. So friend, submit yourself to Jesus Christ. Lay down your rebellion. Give up your arms and give yourself to Jesus Christ by faith. Walk with Jesus Christ today on the perfect path of love and light and wisdom. And be in perfect harmony with Jesus Christ forever. If you have questions about what it means to be a Christian... Please come talk to me after the service so I can't promise I'll, I'll, I'll treat you any different than my Roman Catholic friend. But if you want to talk to somebody else, there will be elders amongst you. Come talk to the friend sitting next to you. Talk to a member of this church. We would love nothing more than to tell you about Jesus Christ so that you will be united to him and be a part of his church. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we should praise God that he has set us free from sin so that we might walk the way of love and light and wisdom. That he has brought us into the body of Christ, Paul says. He has made us a member of the body of Christ. And do not forget, beloved, that you are part of an us. The Christian life, like marriage, is both individual, a husband and a wife, And it is corporate, a member of a body. There is a you and there is a we. You are a Christian, but we are the body of Christ. Verse 23. We, the church, submit to Jesus Christ, verse 24. Christ loves the church, verse 25. Gave Himself up for her, the church, that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, verse 27. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church, verse 29. Because we are members of His body, verse 30. Two individuals joined together in marriage is a profound mystery that refers to the union of the Lord Jesus Christ and his body, the church, verse 32. So brothers and sisters, I wonder if you know why University Park Baptist Church has a church covenant. Why is it that the historic practice of most Protestant churches since the Reformation have been to have church covenants, a localized church covenant? Well, there are many reasons why, I won't bore you with all of them, but one most fundamental reason that we have a church covenant and that we follow in the long line of Protestants who have church covenants is because we, at this church, are trying to make practical what is spiritually true. We're trying to make practical what is spiritually true. We're trying to put flesh on a spiritual bone. That this local church along with every other true church of Jesus Christ in this day and throughout all ages, is in covenant union with our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means that each one of you, brothers and sisters, as individual members, are now members of a localized body of Christ. That, that in the covenant union with Christ, as individuals, you are also united to one another in the body. And so we formalize this membership just as in a formal marriage ceremony with a covenant commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and to His church. We live in an age and a culture where it is far too easy to divorce your spouse. We live in an age and a culture where it is far too easy to divorce your church. And so, beloved, may it not be so of us. May it be said of this church, like it ought to be said of a godly marriage, that we honor the Lord Jesus as we pursue joyful submission to loving leadership, for we know that the Lord Jesus Christ will never leave us or forsake his church. And so let us labor in this local church to realize the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Put flesh on the bone of your Christian life. This mysterious union between husband and wife testifies to the union of Jesus Christ and his church. And so Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 says this. It says, Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives ought to submit in everything to their husbands. What exactly is it that Paul means here when he says, Wives submit? Wives submit. Well, interestingly, the Greek word in verse 22, submit, most of your translations will say wives submit. Some will say wives be subject to or something along those lines. That that Greek word isn't there in the text. It's not in verse 22. Really what's happening is that verse 22 is a continuation of the thought in verse 21. Submitting to one another. So remember, being filled with the Spirit, a sign of being filled with the Spirit is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then verse 22 reads in the Greek, wives to your own husbands. So the submitting is, is read into verse 22. And why that's important for us is simply to point out that there is a train of thought that Paul is giving to us. He is saying that being filled with the Spirit means that we ought to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your own husbands. Children to your to your parents, Paul will say later, and slaves and servants to your master. So there's a train of thought that we're picking up here, and it means that submission to your own husband, dear sister, is evidence of walking in wisdom and keeping in step with the Spirit of God. And so, sister, what does it mean to submit? Well, and there's lots that could be said. The word submit Uh, ties largely to military context of rank. So a lower rank submitting to a higher rank in a military situation. I think a good definition, and this is, I was talking to a brother last night about this definition, and I told him it, and he said, did you get it from John Piper? And I said, no. And he said, well, it sounds like John Piper. And I said, well, maybe I've read too much Piper. So here we are, but this is my own definition, so take it or leave it, though I think you should take it. Uh, Submission is the delightful duty. Submission is the delightful duty to defer, like the three Ds, delightful duty to defer to the loving leadership of your husband. Delightful duty to defer to the loving leadership of your husband. So sisters, let me encourage you. You are given by God the incredible opportunity to testify to the authority and the holiness and the glory of God in the way you submit to your own husband. It is your Christian duty to submit to your own husband. But dear sisters, it ought also be your great delight. For in submitting to your own husband, you are offering joyful obedience in the Spirit to Jesus Christ. So notice here in this text that the admonition to submit is particular and expansive. It's particular and expansive. The admonition is particular. The wife is to submit to her own husband, not to any man in general, but to her own husband. And so what that means for single ladies in the church, or that means for our daughters, is that they are not to submit to men in general. But they are to submit to their own husbands. And so if you don't have a husband, you don't have a husband to submit to. It is a particular command for wives to submit to your own husbands. And so your duty to defer to your own husband, sister, is to your husband. It's not to every man. We are not misogynists in that way, as some would say we are. And as you submit to your own husband, you testify, here's another encouragement, you evangelize and testify to the exclusivity and the particularity of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Submit to your own husband, Paul says, as to the Lord. The church of Jesus Christ does not submit to any Lord, but we submit to the Lord. And so you, dear sister, do not submit to any husband, to just any man, but you submit to your own husband. And so testify that there is one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this delightful duty to submit is particular to your own husband, and it is expansive in scope. Did you catch that? A wife is to submit to her own husband, Paul says, in everything. God calls a wife. To submit to her husband in the same manner as the church willingly submits to Jesus Christ. That is, in everything. There is nothing in the Christian life outside the loving lordship of Jesus Christ. And there should be nothing in the wife's life outside the loving leadership of her husband. And so sisters, in submitting to your own husbands... In delightfully deferring to your husband's leadership in everything, you are respecting the dignity of your husband, Paul says in Ephesians 5.33. Respecting your husband, the dignity of your husband as the head of your home. And sisters, you may not realize this. Perhaps some of you do. I'm sure some of you do you have a profound opportunity. I think we read these sometimes and we read them in this kind of wooden way where we're trying to do it or fit into it. But think about what Paul is saying, the profound opportunity that you have to help your husband and your children and all of us to grow in godliness. 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul sits down for us the qualifications of an elder qualifications of an elder. In his qualifications for the office of an elder, the Apostle Paul says, an elder must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Who is going to help him do this? What did God say is the role of the wife in Genesis 2? But to be a helper fit for a husband. And so you, dear sister, have the profound opportunity to help your husband grow in the godly character set down for us in First Timothy 3. The qualifications of an elder or a deacon are not exemplary qualifications. They are rather ordinary qualifications. And every man ought to aspire to those godly characteristics. And you, dear sister, can help him do that. And I wonder if we've overlooked the connection between the joyful submission of a wife to a husband and the joyful submission of the church to Jesus Christ, and in particular to to the under shepherds of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 17 says that the church should submit, same word, church should submit to the leaders of the church. Do you see the order that God is weaving into his church? Genesis 2, husband and wife. Husband is the head. Wife submits in joyful submission. Things go terribly wrong. God comes in Jesus Christ and he dies and he rises again. He sends his Holy Spirit into the church. And all of a sudden, what what do we see? We see the church of Jesus Christ being godly marriages where husbands lead and wives submit. Godly families where parents lovingly care and discipline for their children and the children are obedient. We see good, godly workers in the workplace. We're going to get all of those things at the end of Ephesians 6. But the one thing we don't talk about much is the order in a church where you have 1 Timothy 3 elders and deacons, godly leaders, and you have church members. And you have Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Submit to your leaders, for they have care for your souls. And so sisters... Wives, when you put these scriptures together, do you see the profound opportunity you have to help us all grow in godly Christian character? And even more than that, to help the church of Christ grow. In Christ-likeness and Christian character, in submitting to your own husbands and showing respect for your own husband, verse 33, you are dignifying his office as head of his home. And so showing to us all how to dignify the office of an elder or of a government official or of any right authority that is over us. And so we ought to submit, Paul says in Ephesians 5.21, out of reverence for Christ and you, dear sister have the profound opportunity to show us how that's done. The right ordering of a marriage and the right ordering of a church is beautiful and full of dignity. And so brothers and sisters, let us labor in our marriages and in this church to submit to one another as we submit to Jesus Christ. For some of you, For some of you, beloved sisters, it may be that your own husband is such a man that is hard to submit to. And I want to encourage you, dear sister in Christ, that in the midst of the difficulties and the hardships in your home, To press on in loving obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. To obey his commands. To submit to your own husband as to the Lord. To show respect and so dignify your own husband, even whenever he does not deserve it. And who knows? Maybe you, dear sister, may be like the woman in 1 Peter 3. Who wins her husband to the Lord without even a word. Simply because of your godly character. And so wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And see that you respect your husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church, Paul says. Martin Luther said that the Christian is supposed to love his neighbor... And since his wife is his nearest neighbor, he should love her with the deepest of love. The husband models and shows for us Jesus Christ by exercising loving and godly authority through the loving service of his wife. Like Jesus Christ, the husband has real authority. The husband's authority is a delegated authority. It is not inherent within the husband himself, but it is granted unto him by God. This is clear even from creation when Adam was created and given the commands of God before being placed in the garden of God. This is the logic of God's word in First Timothy chapter 2 where Paul roots God's good design of male elders in the creation account of Genesis 1 and 2. Or the logic of 1 Corinthians, where Paul reasons that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the husband. The authority is delegated to the husband. And it is rooted in the very wisdom of God's creation. And here in Ephesians 5, we're reminded that God's grace and his redemption restores the natural order of God's good creation. What was disordered in the fall is being set back into order by God's spirit and grace in Ephesians chapter 5. Brothers, brothers, this means that you can rest secure in your office as head of your home, as a husband. You need not project authority. You need not grasp for authority. And God forbid that you lord your authority over your wife. No, brothers, your headship is a stewardship given to you by God. And so we can embrace it with gladness. We can exercise it with diligence. We can enjoy it as an opportunity to glorify God in our marriage and serve our wives. Above all, brothers, imitate the Lord Jesus Christ by exercising authority through loving service. The Lord Jesus came for His church not to be served, but to serve. And you, husband, ought to love your wife by serving your wife. I don't know what that looks like in particular in your home, but I'm certain that the Spirit of God and your wife can help you figure it out. Brothers, our service, you need to know, will come with sacrifice. The Lord Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to sacrifice his life as a ransom. For many, verse 25, Ephesians 5, verse 25, Jesus gave himself for the church. He sacrificed himself for the church. And so you, brother, also to give yourself to your wife in sacrificial service, you need to sacrifice to crucify your sin. If you are dabbling in the sins of pornography and sexual immorality, crucify it. Sacrifice it unto the Lord of drunkenness, of greed, or of any other kind of debauchery, of simple neglect of your home. Crucify it. Sacrifice it. Sacrifice your career ambition. Sacrifice your ungodly desires. Sacrifice your time and your treasure and your talent for the good of your wife. This is what Paul's getting at in verse 28 and 29, that the husband is to love his wife as he loves himself. And so, brother, if you're putting yourself above your wife, you are not doing what Paul says. Place her good above even your good, because doing good for her is like doing good for yourself. It will go well for you when you love your wife in a sacrificial, servant-hearted way. And above all, the husband is to be sa- the, uh, the husband's sacrificial service is aimed at sanctification. His sacrificial service is aimed at sanctification. Verse twenty-six: A husband's love for his wife should lead to her sanctification. Brothers, are you making your wife more holy? A husband loves his wife best by leading her to Christ. Above all, brothers. So many of you do this well. And so keep doing it. Take your family. Bring your wife to church. Exercise the means of grace with her. Read the Word. Pray the Word. Sing the Word. Sit under the Word being preached. And when appropriate, partake of the Word in the supper and in baptism. I just want to say there are many husbands... As there are many wives who do these things so exceptionally well in this church. And I praise God for his grace in this place. And we ought to keep on doing it. And so brothers, we ought not only be bringing our wives and our families to church. But bring the church to your wife. Wash her in the word. Let her go to women's conferences. Let her go and meet with other godly sisters. Bring, bring in members of the church into your home. Show the hospitality that is a fruit of the spirit in your life. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves his church. Sacrificial service that leads to sanctification. The old Puritan Matthew Henry summarized the loving authority of a husband in this way. He said, the wife is not made out of his head so that she would be ruled over, nor from his feet to be trampled upon, but the wife is made out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be beloved by him. May it be so of us. Married brothers, we have a profound opportunity to demonstrate to the world that godly authority exercised in sacrificial, sanctified service is a blessing to be embraced. It's a blessing, and so brothers, let me encourage you to do just that. Well, a godly marriage is meant by God to be a refuge from the storms of life, to be a school of sanctification, to be with the saints of old called a little church in the home. And yet, a godly marriage should not be our primary focus. Your marriage cannot bear the weight of glory that you seek, By God's grace, we should strive to wield loving authority with tender care. We should strive to joyfully submit to God's good designs. And by God's grace, he will bless us with godly marriages. But as great a comfort is a godly marriage, our marriages are but momentary. Its glory will come to an end. the glory is not in our godly marriages but in our glorious god who gives grace so for many of us our marriages may have been difficult or may have even ended but you can take great hope dear saint that glory is not in the marriage but it is in the god who gives grace our marriages are meant to point outside of themselves to testify to our glorious hope the exercise of loving authority in marriage testifies to the great love of God the Father who adopts us into his everlasting family. The joyful submission of a wife testifies to the rich mercy of God the Son who has a bride who is submitted unto himself and that he himself submitted even to the point of death on a cross. And our faithful obedience in marriage testifies to the supernatural power of God the Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead and who raised us from the dead spiritually and now is at work in us to will and to work for His good pleasure. And in it all we testify to the glorious hope that though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed His truth to triumph. Through us. And so we let goods and kindreds go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. Our marriages are momentary. But God's kingdom is forever. Amen. Let's pray. our great God and King, how incredible it is to even contemplate that our union with Jesus Christ is that as close as a union of a husband and a wife. Oh God, we pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we desecrate this holy union of husband and wife. And we pray that you would be at work in us by your Holy Spirit to make our marriages godly, and that they would testify to the great and glorious hope we have in Jesus Christ. Make your church holy because of the holy marriages in our midst. Let us be a shining city upon a hill so that we might be with you in glory on that great day of the marriage supper of the Lamb. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.